You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Open it up with me to the 34th Psalm, and we're going to stand in just a few moments and read this passage of Scripture. Now, before we do that, some of you are already standing. Ross, you're very eager back there this morning. I am too, man. I'm with it. Uh, Before we stand and read this passage of Scripture, let me give you a little bit of the background, however. Let me remind you that there was a time in David's life when he was constantly hounded and hunted by the very man whom he most loved and honored, and that was King Saul. David was going to succeed Saul as king of Israel. But Saul was now jealous. Saul was angry at David. No one in the kingdom loved him more than David. No one in the kingdom was more honorable and loyal to Saul than David. But Saul was angry every time he thought about David. David and Saul's son, Jonathan, have their hearts knit together as brothers. But Jonathan had come out into the wilderness and through a set of signs that he and David had worked out, he had indicated to David that Saul was out for his life. And so David is like a flea out in the wilderness. I mean, he, he is just a gnat. He is trying his dead-level best to keep away from Saul and from the troops of Saul. Hungry one day, he goes down to Nob. There is a priest of Nob down there by the name of Ahimelech. And uh, David begs bread from him, and the priest finally gives it to him. David says, do you have any kind of a weapon? He said, I don't even have a weapon. Do you have a weapon? He said, well, as a matter of fact, wrapped up in a cloth back here, we have the sword of Goliath from Gath. And he said, you can take that. That's all we have around here. And so David took the sword of Goliath. It was uh, the sword David had used to sever the head of Goliath. And as Brother Ruffin mentioned the other night, it's interesting that David didn't have that at the beginning. He told Goliath he was going to cut his head off, but all David had at that time was a sling. And, of course, you know the rest of that story. There was that huge sword, and now David has the sword. David then is running from Saul. He ends up in Gath, the very home place of Goliath. And, of course, those people there are are tremendously angry at David when he shows up. They go to the king, Achish, and you see in the scripture here, there's another name for him, Abimelech. And they go to the king of Gath, Achish, and they say to him, you know this guy who's here? We don't want him here. As a matter of fact, you ought to kill him. You know why? Don't you remember that song they sang after Goliath was, uh, was killed? And that is that Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. Well, you know who that was killing those tens of thousands? It's the guy that's out there in the lobby. And so Achish, you know, now he's tremendously angry. You know, David's life is at stake. And David then feigns to be a madman. He, he begins drooling in his beard. He goes over to the doorpost and he takes his fingernails and starts scratching or scrabbling, the scripture says, making marks on the doorpost like a a crazy man. Here's a guy who's going to be king of one of the mightiest armies in the world. He's drooling and scratching on the doorpost. And Achish says, look, I I don't want to have it. The guy's crazy. Get him out of here. And so it works and David goes free. But then where does he go? He he has no place left to go but to a cave. He hides in the cave. The name of the cave, by the way, is the cave Adullam. 
If you want to read about uh, David's feelings in that cave, read the 142nd Psalm someday. He said, refuge failed me. He said, no man cared for my soul. And here he was, royalty, back in this cave with, with despots, men who were murderers, men who were thieves, men who one day with the power of God, some of them would become David's mighty men. And so David is on the run. A terrible time to praise the Lord. But this morning I want you to consider with me the awesome impact of praise. That's the subject matter for this morning. The awesome impact of praise. When I was a high school student taking high school chemistry, Mr. Calvert, our chemistry teacher, came into the room on the beginning day of classes. And he had several beakers filled with great amounts of fluid, and he had a large glass container over here. And he took one of those beakers, and he explained what was in it, and he poured it into the glass container with no result. And then he took the other beaker, and he said, by the way, he said, uh, uh, this is pretty volatile stuff, but he poured it into the glass container with no results. And then he took another one that had powder in it of one sort or the other, and he poured it into the, can to the container with no results. And then he had a very small vial, and he took just a pipette, just a little bitty glass straw, and he put it into that vial and took just a drop of what was in that vial, and he went over there to this huge con glass container filled with all these other chemicals, and he dropped that one drop into that glass container, and it set off a reaction that just astounded everybody in the class. I mean, smoke went up, and it looked like it was belching fire, and it was frothing, and stuff was coming down the side, just like, you know, those things you see in the movie. And the classroom began to stink, and, you know, we thought, you know, if we could just get some ha our hands on this, this is pretty neat stuff. He never really explained to us what happened, but uh, he didn't tell us what was in the vial. But he said, I just want to show you that it doesn't take much of the right thing to create a big result. And this morning I want to talk about the right thing which can create a big result in the midst of, uh, of problems and fears and distresses and worries that you might have. We're going to be thinking together about the awesome impact of praise. Let's stand together in honor of our Lord whose word this is and let's read now the word of the Lord together, these four verses. If you don't have to have your Bible in your hand there, you can read the words on the screen. Let's read them and let's read them as if we mean them sometimes I hear people sort of mumble out the Scripture. Let's don't do that this morning. All right, let's read together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Let's pray together. Father, how I thank you that you've given us this wonderful, wonderful moment in our lives, a time to praise you, a time to experience your love and then to express your love to one another, a time to join our hearts together in fellowship with others who love you, a time to bring our needs before you with the confidence that you will supply all our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, every one of us has different needs. Show us this morning, dear Lord, 
the awesome impact of praise. Show us, Heavenly Father, as your Holy Spirit works in our lives, what will happen in our experience as we begin praising you. Now, Lord, bless this time together. And, Father, I pray that at invitation time, you would bring to this altar those who would offer themselves to you, those who would come to be a part of this church family, those who would receive Christ by faith as their Savior and thus have eternal life, forgiveness of sin, peace and purpose in life through that simple act of repentance and faith in you. Now, Lord Jesus, we're trusting you to minister to our lives in these moments. And we pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open to Psalm 34 as we think together this morning on this subject, the awesome impact of praise, the awesome impact of praise. Let's look at it. First of all, praise blesses the Lord. Let me say it again. Praise blesses the Lord. Look with me at verse 1. I will bless the Lord. That word literally means I will greet with adoration or congratulations. I will bless the Lord at all times. That's interesting that David would say this because David is on the run. David has been looking for food. He's been looking for a weapon. He's been looking for a safe place to stay. He's had to act in an absolutely ridiculous fashion. He is, he is every reason to be a fear-driven man. But instead, David is saying, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, what this means is that when you gouge me, my reflex response is going to be, to praise the Lord. If I handed you, Don, a tube of toothpaste and took the lid off of it and asked you to squeeze that tube of toothpaste, on the outside it says toothpaste, what's going to come out of that tube? Toothpaste? Well, maybe if toothpaste is in the tube. But I'll tell you, whatever's in the tube is going to come out of the tube when it's squeezed. Now, hopefully it is toothpaste, but it might not be. I was on a trip with some of these people one time to Korea and squeezed my toothpaste tube, and a raisin came out, and then another raisin came out. Dignified people on a mission out there, but just raisins were in my toothpaste tube. You hope toothpaste comes out, but it doesn't always come out. Now, what comes out of you when you're under pressure? Well, I'll tell you what comes out of you. It's whatever's in you. That's what's going to come out of you. Now, a lot of people think that they can control their response so that, uh, you know, when they really get under pressure, they really get in tough times, they begin to be fearful, or maybe they lose their job, or maybe they're in deep financial problems, or they have a physical problem. They think, oh, I, I know the right thing to do is to praise the Lord. I'll tell you what you'll do. You will do what is in your heart to do because it's out of the abundance of a man's heart that he speaks. Now, here's what David says. David says, all the time, I'm going to be praising the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I'm going to be thinking of who God is, of what God has done, of how he is responsible for my welfare. I am one of his people. I am one of his sheep. He has promised that he would supply all of my needs so that when I'm bumped, when I'm squeezed, 
when I find myself in a tough situation, his praise will be continually in my mouth. You see, praise, the Bible says, blesses the Lord. You know, it's been hard for me to think about uh, how I could do something that would bless the Lord. Doesn't that seem impossible? To come, you know, here's God, the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of everything, all these galaxies, everything on this earth. There's not a molecule that exists, not an atom, not a particle of an atom. There's nothing that exists that God doesn't know where it is, what it's doing at any given moment for all the, all the, everything out there. What could I do to bless the Lord? It's sort of like the problem that some of you all are going to have now that Christmas is upon us. I, I, I've got some friends who have everything. Do you have friends like that? I mean, and, and you say, what do you give somebody who doesn't need anything? You know, you've already tried the tie thing and the, the book thing and the, you know, what, what do you give a person who doesn't need anything, you know? And, and all of these uh, magazines that arrive at your doorstep to, to give you some new creative toy that, you know, and make you think that, that they've got to have that. But, you know, I don't know about you, but there are some people in my life, when I think about giving them something for Christmas, the truth of the matter is there's not one thing out there that they need. But I want to tell you this. No matter who that person is, there is not anyone who is not encouraged and blessed when they hear that in my heart or that in your heart there is nothing but love and adoration and loyalty and surrender to them. And so there is this, what do you give God? What does God need? God doesn't need anything. But the truth of the matter is when you praise God, listen, you are finally doing that for which you were created. As a matter of fact, Jesus said one time when he was being rebuked by some Pharisees because his disciples and others were praising him, he said, you know something? I could get them to shut up, but if they did, the rocks then would start crying out because all this creation is created for one purpose, and that is to praise me. So when you are praising Jesus, you are blessing him. And so David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let me ask you a question. As uh, you look back across this past week, those times when you've been troubled a little bit, somebody's rubbed you the wrong way, somebody's done something that has irritated you, in your heart of hearts, has your natural response been to praise the Lord? I had a gut check on this two or three times this week. And I'm afraid I didn't always pass the test. That is that his praise would be continually in my mouth. So what does praise do? First of all, praise blesses the Lord. That's a tremendous thing to think that there's something that you or I could do that blesses the Lord. What an awesome impact of praise. Praise blesses the Lord. But let's go on. Number two, praise brings victory over depression. Praise brings victory over depression. Now, when I was uh, going to college, we had a professor of psychology. Do you remember Dr. Hurley Ruffin? And uh, Dr. Hurley uh, was an interesting guy himself, you know. 
But I will never forget something he said in a psychology class one day. I've forgotten, by the way, a lot of things he said in psychology class. Uh, you know, somebody asked the other day how many psychologists it takes to change a light bulb. Well, really just one, but it takes several sessions and the light bulb really has to want to change. Um, <clears throat> but I, I don't remember everything that he said, but I do remember this that he said. He said, uh, it is easier. Now, he's using the word act here, not in terms of pretending, but in terms of behaving, okay? He said it is easier for a person to act his way into feeling better than it is for him to feel his way into acting better. Let me say it again. It is easier to act your way into feeling better than it is to feel your way into acting better. Now, what was he saying? He was saying if you sit around and wait until you feel like doing the right things, you'll never get around to doing it. Because there'll always be some reasons. You say, well, I, I just can't do that. I just, I'm just not up to I just don't feel good. This is not the right time. This is not the right weather. They didn't treat me nice. They didn't do that. If you wait until you feel like doing the right thing, there'll be a lot of great things that you'll never get around to doing. But if you go ahead and do the right thing, what'll happen? You'll start feeling better about it. About halfway through mowing that lawn, you'll say, you know, this is great. I needed this exercise. The lawn looks good. I'm enjoying being out here. Now, that might not be your thing, but there's an example. Now, taking that same thought, let's look at it again. Praise brings victory over depression. One of the most uh, common maladies which we hear about in this generation is depression. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that you can go back some years, for instance, you take um, early dictionaries, You'll discover, for instance, that there were, there were some words that we have that they didn't have in the dictionary. Uh, for instance, the word bored, not B-O-A-R-D as in a plank, but bored as in just bored. That word was not in the earlier dictionaries. You know why? Because it was, it was unthinkable that a person would ever be just bored, would ever not have anything to do or to occupy his time. But you now see, we, we live in a society where people have so much, can do so much, and with all this available to us, people just get bored. Well, depression is another thought that has, has really, you know, it's gained great popularity. I mean, it's, it really is. It's sort of popular to be depressed in these days. And, and there are all kinds of treatments. You know, well, you need to go for counseling or you have a chemical imbalance. Well, is that true? Maybe so. Maybe you do need counseling. Maybe there is something physically wrong with you. But could I suggest that before you go through all of that, if you're a little depressed and you may be just oppressed during that time, spiritually living under spiritual oppression, could I suggest to you that uh, before you do all that, that you try something that the psalmist David tried. And by the way, if anybody could have been depressed, it would have been David. Refuge fail me. No man cares for my soul. I'm on the run. The very guy that I love the most hates me. The one to whom I'm the most loyal wants to kill me. I'm supposed to be a king one of these days and I'm out here hunted down like a, like a common animal out here. I'm, I'm, I'm pray for them. Refuge failed. Who cares for me? If anybody could have been depressed, it would have been David. But now look at verse 2. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. By the way, the word boast is the same, has the same root that we get our word hallelujah from. It's halal. My soul shall say hallelujah which means bring forth light or boast. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble 
shall hear thereof and be glad. And if you were to study what the Bible says about this word translated here as humble, you would discover it is a very interesting word. It means the beat down, the looked down upon, the shoved down, the depressed. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, in the midst of an occasion in my life when the natural thing for me to have done would have been to go to the farthest back corner of that cave, find me a rock, sit down on that rock, suck my thumb, eat a worm, and die. I chose instead to praise the Lord. Listen, folks, why is praise so effective at helping overcome depression? Why? Think about it just for a moment. Why? Depression often finds its cause in self-centeredness. Poor me. I've been mistreated. I've got a problem. I'm broke. I'm sick. I'm rejected. I'm without the proper education. I've been fired. I'm unloved. See, depression has as a part of its ingredients, sometimes, most often, self-centeredness. You know what praise does? It gets your eyes off of yourself. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble, the depressed, shall hear thereof and be glad. Brother Tom, what do you think about counseling? We do counseling here. What do you think about the need for physical health? There are many times when I tell people, look, the first thing you need to do is go get a good physical. But let me say it again. Many times depression has its root in self-centeredness. It's a focus upon what's gone wrong in your life, what you think about it, what other people think about you or don't think about you, and the only way you're ever going to get out of it, you can go ahead and take all the other stuff and go see all those other people. You will suffer many things at the hands of many people. You will not be permanently helped if your problem is self-centeredness until you get your eyes off yourself and on to Jesus. What God is, what he has done, what he can do. And so praise brings victory over depression. Number three. Oh, this is an exciting one. Praise unites and empowers the lonely. I wonder how many lonely people we have here. I've discovered that you can sit in a crowd and be so lonely. What's the cause of your loneliness? When my grandmother passed away, my granddad, who had been married to her for many, many, many years, was on his way out the back door of their little house there in Fort Ice, Arkansas, on the way out to the shop, and there's a big pecan tree in their backyard. And he bumped his head on that pecan tree, and he fell down, knocked him out. He lay on the grass, and when he came to, he was looking up through the branches of this pecan tree, and his first thought, he told me himself, he said, my first thought was, dear God, I am the loneliest man in the world. Now, the rest of the story is how God gave him the fulfillment of his dreams and desires and companionship and blessed his life. But I wonder how many lonely people there are. Praise unites and empowers the lonely. Look with me at verse 3. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. There's so, listen, there is something about praise that unites lonely people. Now, if you don't believe that, I would challenge you to travel this country from one end to the other, and you will find, for instance, tonight, you'll find great praise and worship services. Now, many times you'll find them on a Saturday night or on a Monday night or a Tuesday night, and you'll find services, you'll find places where people are just filled praising the Lord, singing praises to his name. Do you know what you will find in most of them? You will find in most of them that they are filled with singles. Right? Isn't that a fact? The greatest praise services across this country. That's why I want us to be a praising church because there is something about praise. That doesn't mean that if you're single you have to be lonely, but there are a lot of lonely people in this world. There really are. And notice what he says. He said, look, there's something here we can do together. There may be a lot of things we can't do together. But I tell you what we can do together. Come, let us magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. Let's do this together. Let's get our eyes off of you, eyes off of me. Both of us get our eyes on Jesus' praise, unites and empowers the lonely. David was so lonely. No man cares for my soul. But as you know that it wasn't but a matter of days as they begin to praise the Lord, that God welded an incredible army out of those discontents in the back of that cave. I mean, God changed their lives. Those men went out and did mighty exploits for the Lord because they had learned to praise him. And praise unites and empowers the lonely. Number four, praise prepares the way for deliverance from all fears. Praise prepares the way for deliverance from all fears. Look at verse 4, the last verse of our text. I sought the Lord. The word sought there means I resorted, I turned to the Lord. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And the word here in the Hebrew is interesting. It means he heard and answered me. It doesn't mean he, he heard me with his ear. No, he heard and answered me. In other words, I got the answer. I sought the Lord. I turned to the Lord. He turned to me. What did he do? He delivered me. The word means literally he snatched me away. He plucked me away out of the dangers. He delivered me from all my fears. David could have said in the back of that cave, look at me, I fear for my life. I fear for my family. I fear for the future. You name it. He could have had that. He could have owned it as a fear. You name it. Where was he going to get money? Where was he going to get food? Where was he going to find friends? Where was he going to get anything that a person wants and needs? He had no hope of any of those. But he said, I want to tell you something. When I turned to the Lord, he heard me. And in the process of that, he delivered me from all my fears from everything that, listen, intimidated me. And this morning, some of you hear this, you, you have in your life those things which intimidate you. For some of you, it's your business, your job. For some of you, it's your marriage. Right now, it just seems like it's a, just an insurmountable obstacle to make it work. Your children, your parents, your education, 
your tour of duty in the military. These are things that intimidate you. You say, I know that it shouldn't be that way. I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I'm a little scared. I'm a little worried. I'm a little distracted. Some of you may be worried about your health. Some of you may be up in years, and you look out of the future, and you say, who's going to care for me? How am I going to be taken care of? What's happening to the health care system? I mean, the news is just filled with information that will intimidate you. But he says, you know something? I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Sometimes when I'm counseling with people, someone will just break down and say, but Brother Tom, I am just filled with fears. Oh, really? And I know it's wrong because the Bible says God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. I know that. And preacher, how can I be delivered from these fears? Well, for one thing, they may literally be under a spirit of oppression and need that kind of deliverance by the authority of God's Word in the name of Jesus and on the basis of His work on the cross of Calvary. But you know what I say to many of these people? Do you read the Psalms? Well, no. Why don't you start reading the Psalms? Oh, Brother Tom, no, why don't you start reading the Psalms every day? What do you listen to on the radio? Well, I keep it to this country western station or this easy listening station or this middle of the road station or this music over here. Or I occasionally turn into Christian radio. Or, or Let me tell you something. Why don't you start listening to things which praise the Lord? I am by my nature, I think, a very optimistic and confident person. But as optimistic and as confident as I am, and sometimes people tell me you live in a, a dream world out there, Tom. Well, that's okay. I like my dreams better than your reality. Um, like the guy who said to the person who was a schizophrenic, he said, good news and bad news. He said, the good news, bad news is you, you have double personality. He said, the good news is you won't ever have to be alone. Um, and so people tell me sometimes, they say, you know, Tom, you know, you're pretty upbeat about everything. Well, I'll tell you, as upbeat as I am about everything, did you know one thing that I do every day without fail? In addition to reading a chapter of Proverbs for wisdom, in addition to reading the other scriptures which I read to prepare my heart and to get before God, and as I'm reading through the Bible uh, every year or several times a year, as many of you do, in addition to that, I always read at least five chapters from the book of Psalms. And it seems that no matter what I'm facing in the day, that when I finished, I've gotten my eyes off of me and off of the circumstances, off of those things which would intimidate and discourage and disparage me, and on to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder how many people there are this morning who really, down deep in your heart, want to bless the Lord, and how many people there are this morning who would love to have victory over depression, and how many need the strength and unity and empowerment that comes to lonely people. I wonder how many people there are this morning in this building who need deliverance from your fears. Think about the awesome impact of praise. Give yourself to God. If you've never received Jesus Christ by faith as your Savior and as the Lord of your life, give the, he gave himself to you. That was the ultimate gift. Give yourself to him.
this morning. Receive him by faith as your Savior and Lord. And, and when we stand together in a few moments, I want to encourage you to make your way to this altar and counselors will be here and just say something this simple. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Would you do that? To those of you who hear the voice of God speaking to your heart, just that tug at your heart, look, join this church. Would you do that this morning? Just join the church. Do it. This may be the very first time you've ever been inside the doors of this building. You say, there's so much I don't know, so much I'd like to know. Well, God knows all that, but if he's prompting you, just come today. Say to one of these counselors, we want to join. I want to join this church. I'm going to ask those who've made decisions in earlier services. Maybe you joined in another service, you were in the counseling room, or those who were baptized this morning in their families. I'm going to ask you to come and be seated down here at the front where it says seating for new members down here to your right so we can introduce you at the close of the service. Your invitation to say yes to Jesus. Our counselors will be here. Prayer warriors will be here. You may need to come and simply kneel at this altar and say, Lord, you've shown me the answer, and I agree with it this morning. Would you come and would you say yes to Jesus? Let's stand with our heads bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, how I pray, trusting that in the quiet stillness of this moment that you would bring to this altar every one of us who would say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless and saving name. Amen.